get our Bibles out today. We're in John chapter 11, preaching through the miracles of Jesus. We're in part three of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Uh, it's going to be one more installment of this. We're not going to get through it today, but we're taking bite-sized pieces off because there's so much here for us to enjoy. So as you get to John 11, head on down to verse 28. Just put your finger there, and then I'm going to thank the Lord for the word, and we're going to jump in. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the word that you've given us. Father, I pray that we would treasure it and that we would not neglect the word, but daily we would ingest it and meditate upon it and allow it to change us from the inside out. Father, this morning as we explore this part of the miracle where you raise Lazarus from the dead, I pray that by the Holy Spirit the word would come alive and leap off the pages and challenge us, stretch us, and encourage us this morning. We ask all this in Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. John 11, starting in verse 28, reading through verse 33. When she had said this, she went away and called Mary her sister. Now Martha has just departed from her interaction with Jesus, saying secretly, the teacher is here and he is calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus, therefore, saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have they laid him? So let's stop right there because we passed up a whole lot of good stuff. And we're going to enjoy every piece of it. Verse 28 shows a switch here. Remember, they called for Jesus because Lazarus was sick. Jesus delays his coming, and Lazarus dies. They, uh, they're upset. They're, they don't understand what's happened. Mary and Martha both feel that if Jesus was there, their brother would still be alive. Now, Jesus shows up on the scene, and by everybody's estimation, he's late. Isn't it a, an amazing thing that man in his limited understanding would judge God's timing as late? Come on, we do it all the time. God, where were you? Why didn't you? Why, you needed to do this. You, you missed the opportunity. It's too late now. God, you're late. Where were you, Jesus, when I needed you? Where were you, Jesus, when I called for you? Where were you, Jesus, when they were hurting me? Jesus shows up on the scene, and Martha comes out to him, and Martha has a connection with Jesus. She expresses her grief. If you remember last week when we were in this text, Martha expresses her grief just as, you know, Mary does. If you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. So she gets with Jesus. She expresses her emotion. She gets some things off her chest, as it were. Amen. There are some things that we harbor in our hearts. There are some things that we, 
we mull over in our spirits. There are some things we rehearse over and over in our heads that we don't express to the Lord. I want to encourage you today. We need to get in the presence of God and get some things off our chest because it does us no good to wrestle with them by ourselves when they can be solved in an instant in his presence. We're going to see that in Mary's life, that these things, that the whys and the what-ifs of life, they're solved instantly in the presence of God. So Martha expresses her grief. She gets some things off her chest, and she lands in a place of great faith. She says, if you were here, my brother would be alive. But, you know, I know that even now, whatever you ask the Father, he'll do it for you. So notice what happens with Martha. She gets real with Jesus, and I, and I encourage all of you to do that. She vents her emotions. I encourage all of you to do that. But then she pushes past her emotions and lands in a place of great faith. This is what we've got to do. Yes, you can be upset. Yes, you can be disappointed. Yes, you can be confused. Yes, you can even be angry sometimes. The outlandish things that the righteous go through in life, sometimes it it deserves anger. Look how they treated Jesus. But when you've expressed all of that and felt all of those feelings, you and I have to land in a place of faith. And that's what Martha did. And that's what we need to learn from her. Whatever you're wrestling with, whatever you're stuck with, however you feel, land in a place of faith. Even if it doesn't make sense, even if you don't understand, even if you don't see a way out or through, land in a place of faith. So Martha has her exchange. She has her connection. And now the the gears shift here, and it's Mary's turn. Mary, you know, she knew Jesus. She had that situation where, you know, she broke the alabaster box and she poured the ointment on him. She wiped his hair with her, you know, she wiped his feet with her tears and her hair. She had this intimate connection with Jesus. He forgave her of her sins and brought restoration to her life. Now, Martha has departed and Mary comes into Jesus's presence. But unlike Martha, Mary doesn't run to Jesus. Remember what she did. She stood in the house. Jesus is here. Well, it's about time he's here. He was late. I think I'll be late. I think I'll just sit in here till I'm good and ready to show up. Maybe I'll sit here for two days like he did. Hello. She's human like we're human. You know, I know we put on our, you know, Sunday best now and we put some cologne on and we act spiritual and carry a Bible, but we're just people. And sometimes we're emotional and sometimes we got an attitude, amen? Anybody have children? You ever, they wake up some days, you got an attitude today. My, my parents used to say, you better fix that attitude or I'm going to fix it for you. Amen? And that didn't mean I was going to get sent to my room with all my video games and crayons and coloring books. So Mary's got a different response here. We're going to look at that a little bit here. You know, she delays her uh, going out to Jesus. Jesus delayed his coming, and she's a little upset about it. She doesn't run out to meet him. Uh, You know, and here we see two sisters with two different personalities, with two different ways of handling grief. And I I want you to see that. Never project on someone else. This is the way you have to handle grief like me. 
You need to scream, you need to shout, you need to cry, you need to... No, never project the way you handle emotions on someone else. They're two different sisters, two different responses, and they're two different emotional makeups here. Uh, Jesus has room for both of them, and that should speak to us. Come as you are. Express yourself, you know, the way you feel, but, but come to him. Now, Martha does her part to jolt Mary out of her little emotional funk here. And I want you to see that here. You know, Martha's a little bit more, you know, uh, type A. She runs right out to meet him. She gets what's on her chest off. But, you know, Mary's hiding out. So here's what Martha does. She says, the teacher has come, and he's calling for you. You say, well, what was that all about there? That was a little nudge. You know, she could have gone, done her thing. She could have been like, ah, Mary's being Mary. She's pouting over there, you know, whatever. Let her work. No, she goes to her sister, and she says, the teacher's here, and she knows that she knows the teacher's here. And then she says, but, and he's calling for you. That was just a little nudge. And I want you to see that. When people are stuck emotionally, when people are trapped spiritually, when relationally they, they can't have you know, a breakthrough and they're just stuck, it's a good thing for all of us who see that to give them a gentle nudge in the right direction. Are you encouraging your brothers and sisters to come back to church, to be involved? Are you encouraging people that you know, you know are still scared and they're not here? Are you encouraging them? Don't be pushy. Don't be too aggressive. Just give them a little nudge. Anybody else besides Pastor Mike? I need more nudgers. Well, it's none of my business. Well, that's not my job. Well, I'm not getting involved. Well, I don't We're supposed to help one another, amen. How many times have you seen someone stuck? You know they're, they're hurt and they're broken. Oh, I don't want to get involved in that. Well, imagine if Jesus sat in heaven and he said, look down, he goes, what a hot mess that is. I don't want to get involved in that. Right? But he did, and so we should. And Martha just gives her sister a little nudge here. Now, what I want you to see is that, you know, in verse 29, that little nudge she gives her really has an impact. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and was coming to him. So what happens here? Mary's, you know, doing her thing, and she's kind of brooding, and she's kind of pouting a little bit. You know, her sister gives her this little gentle nudge because she sees that she's stuck, and she, she knows that she needs some encouragement. And in verse 29, that little nudge that Martha give moves Mary from zero to 60 instantly. Come on, that's all she needed, and that's all sometimes we need, and that's all that others need sometimes. Just a little encouragement, just a little nudge. You, now, you're not withholding encouragement from people, are you? Martha took a chance with her sister, nudged her, and then she's on the move. I mean, that's all it took. She leaves the house in such a whirlwind that it creates a stir in all the people around her. You know, I wish they had video of this I, I, because I, I would like to see how she got up. Man, maybe she knocked a chair over. Maybe she threw something in the air, and she turned around and bolted for the door. But whatever she did, she caused a stir in the room, and everybody noticed it. And what you, what you want to take out of this here is that, you know, Mary's actions there in responding to her sister's little nudge, you know, that little whirlwind, that little uh, explosive amount of movement there, uh, shows us that 
you know, whatever we do with our spiritual energy and our spiritual activity, good, bad, or ugly, it has a ripple effect on others. You know, she, she stirred up everyone in that room, everyone that was watching her, and we're going to dig into this a little more. But what I want you to get out of it today is how we act spiritually, how we respond to things in life. Hello? People are watching us, and our response has a ripple effect. It has, you know, how we act, how we behave. And notice I said good, bad, or ugly, because sometimes we don't respond correctly. And sometimes we respond in anger. Sometimes we respond in a way that, you know, has a negative effect on people around us. In the home, fathers, listen to me. Your spiritual demeanor sets the tone of your home. Mothers, listen to me. Your spiritual demeanor sets the tone in your home. Our response to things in life, to things in the kingdom, has a ripple effect on everyone around us, it affects the lost. You don't think for a moment that the way we conduct ourselves as Christians inside and out of the church happens in a vacuum, do you? The way we act, the way we behave, the way we respond to things has an effect on the lost. It has an effect on the church, and it has an effect on our own households. So Mary's response, she goes from zero to 60 emotionally here. Her spiritual demeanor stirs up the room in such a way that, you know, uh, everything around her becomes a little bit chaotic, and we're going to see that, you know, there's a result from her actions here. Now, verse 30 is next, but we're going to skip verse 30. And we're going to skip verse 30 and head down to verse 31 and see what Mary's hasty departure has caused. It says, then the Jews who were with her, remember there was a lot of people who were mourning with her, in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary got up quickly and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. So what happens here? She has this, you know, little explosive uh, emotional outburst. She, she busts out of the room and everybody's jarred. And what do they do? They're like, oh, she's going to go cry. Let's go cry with her. This is like a Lifetime for a Woman movie, right? Let's Let's cry together. So they're, they're all excited about that. I don't know if there was any guys there, but the ladies got up to and they, you know, they want to go cry. She's going to go weep. Let's go weep. You know, they, 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 they see the movement. They're jarred by it. And now, you know, they're up and they're moving too. So some spiritual motion is taking place here. These people are, you know, they're, they're with her and they're ministering to her and they're feeling what she's feeling. Her hasty departure inadvertently creates an entourage that leads right to Jesus. So now Jesus is outside of town. He's got this emotionally wound up weeping woman at his feet with an entourage, and he's got all of this assembled in front of him. Think about that. Here comes Jesus. He's kind of just taking his time, getting into town. Now he's got a mob of people crying at his feet. Ah, the joys of ministry. Right? Did you see Jesus in dealing with some of these things? Oh, come to earth, they said. Save humanity, they said. It'll be fun, they said. And look at this. And he's looking up at heaven, and the Holy Ghost and the Father are just laughing at him. I want you to know something. Being spiritually productive in the kingdom, some of you need to grab this, is going to create tense situations. 
This was not a comfortable situation at the moment. Why? You're going to see Jesus' response. He's not comfortable with this. You know, Mary's very emotional. You know, she makes a beeline for him. She, she takes a crowd with her. Now Jesus has got all this at his feet. But listen, being a faithful minister of the gospel, being a faithful servant in the kingdom of God is going to com- produce some conflict. It's going to produce some intense, awkward moments. If you, if you refuse to be in, in any situation that's tense or awkward, you are severely limiting the ability for God to use you. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't want to be used. I just want to be saved. <laughs> I get that. Pastor, I got saved because I don't like hot places. I don't even go to Florida. I've never been there. I just don't want to go to hell. That's why, you know, listen, but there's more to your salvation than that. You've been saved not just to avoid eternal, you know, judgment. You've been saved to be a useful tool in your father's hands, amen. God wants to use you. And sometimes you and I need to roll up our sleeves and inconvenience ourselves a little bit and walk right into the middle of a mess. Jesus has got a mess at his feet. And he delayed his coming, and maybe, you know, the disciples were thinking, I told you we shouldn't come here. Look at this now. And it's a little awkward. So ministry can be awkward, and ministry can be uncomfortable. It's not for the faint of heart. What, you know, what's the point of all this? The Father is setting the stage for the eyes of many to see a great miracle. It almost seems like theater here at this point. Jesus knows what's going to happen, but they don't know what's going to happen. None of this is an accident. All of this is by design. There is a purpose to every component of this situation. And the purpose is that God would reveal himself. He would reveal himself through Jesus and glorify the Son and glorify the Father with this great miracle. But I want to tell you something today. Those who are invested in the miracle, would ha- it would have the greatest impact upon them. The people who were there, the people who were ministering, the people who were weeping, those were the people who the miracle would affect the most. And what I want to tell you today is that you and I have to be invested in miracles. We have to be involved. And I want to ask you, how invested are you in seeing miracles in your own life? Are you asking for them? Are you praying for them? Are you tarrying in God's presence for miracles in your life? Are you praying for him to use you, to deliver you, to restore you? Come on, this morning we had a word about, you know, having a hole in our hearts. Why? Because we haven't been affirmed or we haven't felt the Father's blessing. What a powerful word this morning. We need that. Yet we'll mope through life broken and missing parts, and God wants to heal us, but we've got to invest ourselves in our own miracles. It's been said before that you can see the difference between involvement and commitment on your breakfast plate. When it comes to bacon and eggs, the chicken was involved, but the pig was committed. Just just take a minute. Some of you are a little slow. Oh. Yeah, the chicken was involved and made an egg, but the pig laid his life down for your bacon this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. So that's the difference between being, well, I'm involved in church. Well, I do a little bit. I come when I feel like it. You know, and blah, 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 I'm involved. But being committed is a lot different than being involved. 
You and I not, need to not just be, you know, I, I hate, I almost feel weird saying this, but we need more pigs in church than chickens. We need more pigs. Why? More committed people, more people who have laid their lives down and they're in it 100%, amen? How invested are you in your own miracles, in your own deliverance, in your own restoration? How invested are you in seeing the kingdom of God touch this world and save the lost and set the captive free? How invested are we as a church in that? When the Spanish explorer... Hernando Cortez landed in Veracruz, Mexico in 1519. He was so intent on conquering Mexico and subduing it that immediately upon landing on the beach, he set fire to all 11 of his ships and burnt them down. Now he and his men had no plausible means of retreat. They had what one option, to move forward and subdue Mexico. Cortez understood the price of commitment, and he and his men paid it, and they succeeded. Are we 100% invested in the kingdom? Have we left ourselves a way of escape? You see, when people get married with the idea, well, if it doesn't work out, we can just get divorced. They've provided a way of escape. When people get married and they make themselves prenuptial agreements, they've set up their relationship for failure. Do we have a prenup with God? Oh, God, I'll do this or I'll do that, but I didn't sign up for that. I'll, I'll enjoy blessings and I'll, I'll have fun and I'll go to the church buffet, but I'm not suffering. Oh, it's quiet now. How invested are we in the kingdom of God? How invested are we in seeing miracles come to place in our own life. At this point, the people who are investing themselves in this situation with Lazarus being dead, they are the ones who are going to enjoy the, the power and the majesty of this miracle more than anyone else. Now, in case you forgot about verse 30, let's go back there. Verse 30 says, Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha met him. Come on, Jesus, what's going on? You're late, and you're lollygagging outside of the place, right? You're just kind of schlepping along, as they say. Come on, Jesus, they're waiting for you. Come on, Jesus, they're hurting. Come on, Jesus, Lazarus is dead, and you're late, and you're outside of the city. You still haven't come in. Now, what I want you to see here from the detail of this verse that Jesus had not yet come into the town, is that, you know, it says here, but he was in the place where Martha met him. Now, Martha and Mary, though polar opposites, though in different places emotionally and spiritually, both of them had to meet Jesus in the same place. And I want you to get this here. It's a detail that you could miss. The, you know, notice Jesus doesn't run to them. Notice Jesus doesn't bust through the door. Jesus is here. Everybody come in for a group hug. Maybe they expected that's what Jesus should do. I'm sure Mary thought, you know, well, I'll let him come to me. Come on. But Jesus stays outside, and both of them have to meet him in the same place. He doesn't bust in. He doesn't, you know, run to them. He, he doesn't, you know, seek them out. He waits for them to seek him out. And both of them had to humble themselves and, to, and come to Jesus in the state that they were in. 
That's what I want you to see today. Look, whatever state you're in, well, I'm not ready to talk to him. Well, I'm not ready to be honest. I'm not ready to open up my heart. And I'm going to just try and get it together. I'm going to wait a little bit. I'll let him come to me. This is a zero-sum game here that we play with the Lord. We have to humble ourselves. But I'm upset, but I'm disappointed, but I'm hurt. We have to humble ourselves and seek him out. Maybe in life, you know, right now, if we could see a picture of ourselves spiritually, we got our arms folded. Maybe we're pouting a little bit. Maybe we're disappointed or we have an attitude or we're flat out angry with God. Maybe we're waiting for heaven to bend over backwards and meet us on our own terms. And I just want to say, I hope you're prepared for a long wait. There are people who do this for weeks, months, years, decades, I'm mad at God. I'm not going to church. I'm not going to prayer. I'm not opening my Bible. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for heaven to bend over backwards and meet me. And that's not the way it works. We have to humble ourselves. We have to seek him. We have to go in the state that we are. We can't brush it up. We can't clean it up. We can't spray cologne on it. We got to bring it right into the presence of God. And Jesus waits outside the town, and he lets them come to him, and that's a lesson for us. Help us, Lord, when we're stuck not to avoid you. We're waiting on heaven, and we're waiting on God, and he's waiting on us. Proverbs 8.17 says this. I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Jeremiah 29, 12 through 14 says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. Notice, we're creating the spiritual motion, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search me out with all your heart. I will let myself be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and place you where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. God speaking to his people, the Jewish people dispersed throughout the nations in judgment for their rebellion against God, and God says, you seek me, you come after me, I'll let myself be found by you. When you seek me with your whole heart, then you'll find me. If we're on the outside waiting for God to hunt us down, we need to stop, and we need to run to him, and we need to humble ourselves. And we need to meet him where he is because he's waiting for us. Nothing's more unproductive spiritually than us waiting on God when he's waiting on us. It's a little Mexican standoff we got going on. And we got to stop. Now, verse 32 through 33, by the time Mary gets in, I want you to see what happens when Mary gets into Jesus' presence here. That's all I'm going to say about it. But he says, there. Therefore, when Mary came to Jesus, when she saw him, notice that, and fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So, you know, she comes into Jesus' presence. She's broken. She's weeping. She's coming undone. She expresses her heart. And what, what I want you to see here this morning is that when she stopped waiting on him and went to him, when she humbled herself and got to him, by the time she gets in his presence, all her bluster is gone. 
And you got to notice that today. Why? Because when we're outside of God's presence, we can have an attitude. We can, we can, you know, we can kind of grovel in our own misery or we can kind of stew in our own disappointment. But the minute, the minute, the minute we get into his presence this morning, all of that will melt away. <laughs> I have never been able to come into the presence of God and maintain my attitude. I can only do it from a distance. Why? Because in his presence, the majesty, the, the, the glory of it, the, the magnificence of his presence melts away all my human emotions. And like the prophet, I'm undone. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Woe is me. I'm a man of torn emotions. I've judged you, God. I'm the clay and I've judged the potter. Mary comes into his presence and all her bluster is gone and she begins to weep and she's broken. You see, that's why the enemy tries so hard to keep us out of God's presence, stewing in all the things that we we feel are unjust, stewing in all our disappointments. He knows because the minute we get into his presence, all of that will melt away. And it does for Mary. It all melts away and, and she begins to weep. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Notice she says the exact same thing as her sister. Did they rehearse it and collude together to get their story straight? No, they both felt exactly the same way. So she says the first part of what Martha says. I want you to notice that verbatim. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Okay, but notice she never expresses the second part of what Martha said. The second part, the faith part, the part that said, but even now, I know that whatever you ask the Father, he'll do it for you. Mary expresses the, the, the complaint, she expresses the hurt, but she never expresses the faith that Martha had. And what I want you to notice here is that because she doesn't express the faith, she doesn't land in a place of faith, This is exactly why Mary was so emotionally distraught because Mary had given up hope and she'd accepted the condition of her brother as final. She thought it's over. I don't have a hope. This is it. I have to deal with it. But her sister was like, no, even now. Her sister landed in a place of faith. Mary never landed in a place of faith. She just came in her brokenness. The reason she was broken is because she gave up hope. Never give up your hope. Are you alive today? Is anyone alive here? If you have a mirror in your purse or whatever, take it out. See if you can fog it up. If you're still breathing, there's hope. If you're still alive, there's hope. Come on. One sister gave up her hope and she was a wreck. The other sister never gave up her hope, but she landed in a place of faith and she was more stable even in crisis. And I want you to see that today. That's what we've got to do. We've got to land in the place of faith. We've got to maintain our hope in the Lord because once we give up hope, we're finished. Verse 33, Jesus' response to the deep pain and brokenness he sees in Mary and her comforters is pretty profound and it should speak to us. It said, when Jesus saw her weeping, notice that, Here's this, there's just a group of people that ran to Jesus and, you know, they're broken and they're weeping and they're really hurting. It's not feigned, it's not fake, it's raw emotional pain being expressed in the presence of Jesus. 
the scripture says he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. That's interesting, isn't it? When Jesus' spirit groans, what does that mean? He, he was identifying with their pain in such a way that he began to feel it. What does that mean that he was troubled? That means that, you know, the situation that he was seeing unfold before him was something that disturbed his spirit. He was moved by it. You know, I want, I want to make a couple observations here. One, hey, you know what? Not even Jesus knows to do with a, with a crying woman. Guys, can I get an amen from the guys? You know, I, I can have my wife yell at me. I can have her mad at me. But once she starts crying, man, I shouldn't even probably be giving away the trade secrets here. But, you know, once she starts crying, I don't know what to do with her. Oh. D don't cry. You know, Jesus is, you know, he, he sees all this and he's like, it just troubles him. The real point is here that, you know, you and I have to realize and never doubt for a minute that Jesus is moved by our pain. You know, there again, like your word this morning, sister, it talked about the fact that God, he, he recognizes the pain we're in. He, he recognized what we've endured. He, he has been there through the whole thing with us. He's seen us broken and discouraged and weeping. He's seen us at the bottom with no hope. And what does he do? He doesn't just sit there and go, well, you're a big dummy. You should have listened to me. Rick, I told you. How many times I told you? You didn't listen. So this is what you get. Are you having fun? No, that's not the way he responds. He groans. He feels the pain. He's moved, and he's troubled by it. And I want you to understand something this morning. Jesus relates and identifies with the pain that we go through. He's not indifferent towards us. He doesn't look at our pain and our tears and our confusion and just remain cold, but it moves him. He's moved by what hurts his children, just as any good parent is. How many times as a parent, you would just think about what your child's going through in school or in relationships or on the sports field, and, and it pains you to know that they're, they're hurting. That's how our Heavenly Father is times a million. He feels what hurts us. And it's easy when facing the darkest moments of life to feel like, you know, Jesus doesn't care. How could he care? He, he can't notice. Look at all that's going on in the universe. Could he notice me? Does he notice the tears on my pillow? Does he notice the frown on my face? Does he notice the heaviness of my heart? It's so easy in these situations to think God's not there and he couldn't possibly care. In fact, Mary and Martha could have said, how, how could he care? He didn't respond to our cry for help. We sent for him, and he didn't come. How could he care? He delayed his coming until our brother was dead. How could he care? Everyone else showed up, but Jesus didn't show up. How could he care? Because you know what? The way we feel is he let this happen. Because if he was here, our brother wouldn't have died. Wow. It's easy in moments in life to feel like God's not there and God doesn't care but the truth is that nothing could be further from the truth. He 
He's there. He's right there with you. He's weeping alongside of you. He feels your pain. He has a way of restoration laid out in advance, and he's going to work it all out for those who trust him and come to him in faith. I close with this. A certain medieval monk announced that he would be preaching next Sunday's evening sermon on the topic of the love of God. As the shadows begin to fall and the light ceased to come in through the cathedral windows, the congregation gathered together in that place in reverent silence. In the darkness upon the altar, the monk silently lit a single candle and carried it over to a large wooden crucifix at the center of the altar. First, he let the light of his lone candle illuminate the crown of thorns on Jesus' head and revealed the blood trickling down our Savior's brow. Secondly, he illuminated the two wounds on Jesus' hands, then his feet, and finally he lit up the marks left by the spear that pierced his side. A deep sense of reverence and awe fell over the entire congregation. Without a word, the monk blew out the candle and left the sanctuary. His sermon was done. There was nothing else to say. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the cross and Bible tell me so. Jesus loves me, this I know, because he spread his arms wide, and till this day he bears the scars of his love for my soul, that he would become sin for me and you and redeem us with his own life. Jesus loves us. He left his heavenly home and was put in a stable in an animal feeding trough. He plodded through the sin and the filth of this world for us. He endured rejection, gross mistreatment at the hands of sinners. He hung on a cross naked and estranged from his father and became sin for us. And for 2,000 plus years, the cross screams to all humanity, I love you. God loves us. And he has not forsaken us. And no matter what you're going through today, run to him and not from him. And he will begin to heal the wounds. As we close down this verse, I want to say one last thing. Jesus loved Lazarus. He loved Mary. He loved Martha. He had a plan for all of them, and he has a plan for all of us. We can rest today in the fact that he loves us. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank you today for this segment of the miracle that encourages us to run to you and not from you. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters all within the sound of my voice today. I pray, Lord, that each of us, if we're estranged from you, if we're sitting somewhere with our arms folded, waiting for heaven to bend over backwards for us, that today we would repent and embrace humility and run to you. Because in your presence are the answers to what troubles our souls. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Give him praise this morning.